You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk back program. Dr. Hunter Patch Adams he is both a medical doctor and a clown. I think he describes himself as a clown who happens to be a doctor. But he's also a social activist who has devoted 30 years uh, or more, I would say, to changing America's health care system, a system that he describes as expensive and elitist. He believes that laughter, joy, and creativity are an integral part of the healing process, and true health care must incorporate those aspects of life. Doctors and patients relate on the basis of mutual trust. Patients receive plenty of time from their doctors. Patch has devoted his life to the study of what makes people happy. Patch Adams, MD, is a nationally known speaker on wellness, laughter, and humor, as well as on health care and health care systems. He approaches the issues of personal, community, and global health with zestful exuberance, according to Time magazine. Dr. Adams believes that the most revolutionary act one can commit in our world is to be happy. Medical doctor, clown, performer, social activist, founder and director of the Gesundheit Institute, a holistic medical community that has provided free medical care to thousands of patients since it began in 1971. Author of Gesundheit and House Calls, moving speaker, patchadams.org is the website, and he joins us today. Dr. Adams, how the heck are you? Please call me Patch. I will. I will. I hope you're enjoying your day. I only enjoy I don't have a non-enjoy. Come on. You really, you never get down into the funk? Never. If it doesn't serve peace and justice, I'm not going to do it. All right. I mean, I feel our world is crumbling. My library is 35,000 books. I take 120 monthly magazines, and nothing I study gives me a sense we won't be extinct this century. So I feel I want to do my bit for love to try to make love our value instead of money and power over. All right, well, let's get this out of the way right off the top of the interview here. I know you've been asked most of these questions a million times, so let's roll through the uh, the mundane ones as quickly as possible. How is the movie different than real life? You know, it's interesting that we can go from what I just said to talking about the movie. Yeah, because that's the association, and that's got to be a catch-22 for you. It's got to be frustrating well, because... Well, it's not frustrating. You no? see, I'm trying to direct it back to what's important. Right. I mean, an average moment with a friend is more significant than the movie was to me as a person. Well, okay, let's go into it. You must be very excited to have a president who's trying to get nationalized health care. I'm not impressed that that's what he's trying to do. I mean, the, right after the health care reform bill passed, the insurance companies and pharmaceuticals companies' stock went way up. No, I mean, that was a meaningless reform bill. I mean, we're in the richest country of the world, and we don't take care of our people. How inexcusable is that? So there really is no hope that it will become allopathic. Well, allopathic is what an MD is. Whether or not it will become a service to humanity. And, I mean, if, it, if the phrase no hope were used, then I wouldn't be trying what I'm doing. I mean, I've created a hospital model 40 years ago that eliminates 90% of the cost. Now, I thought it was going to take me four years to build it, and in the 40th year, I broke ground. Hmm. So I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's too late. I mean, when I feel our coming extinction, the reason I'm not disturbed by it is that I don't think it is too late. In... in uh... 
looking at the definition of allopathic and things that are included in that, it's a very holistic approach. Are there any practices which haven't been included in the definition of allopathic? Like, what have you looked at? Allopath is what an MD is. Right. MD usually is a very narrow-minded physician. An, An allopath is strictly what you are when you get an MD, and it isn't holistic at all. Holistic usually means that you are including things like acupuncture, homeopathy, naturopathy, chiropractic, Ayurvedic, anthroposophic, those, those, those included. And also, since there's no education in wellness, that often holistic means an emphasis on learning to be well, none of which are in allopathic training. Where does faith healing fit into that? Because I have heard you mention it before as part of everything you might be into. Well, I certainly, you know, it's a it's a fascinating thing. I, I didn't grow up with any thought of God in my life. It didn't make any sense when I grew up, and as a child I didn't get any training. But when I was a third-year medical student in the emergency room and a family brought in a dead child from an accident, and the attending, very typical of a male doctor at the time, said, call a nurse, there's nothing we can do. I went into medicine to be with people in that vulnerability, and I saw in their patient bracelet that they were Baptists, so I asked if they wouldn't mind praying. Now, again, I've never had any belief in God, but I think it's uh, irresponsible not to use another person's belief for them, and Mm. so I got down on my knees and gave some beautiful, poetic language around their child being with Christ and the family wrote me for 10 years so my my spell is to be a Christian with a Christian and a Buddhist with a Buddhist and an atheist with an atheist but I think I mean when I talk to a Christian audience I tell them it would be nice if they were I mean the, the complexity is of course Christian means like Christ so if a person is like Christ they are a Christian otherwise they're not a Christian and that what I have found, my initial interviews with patients are four hours long, and I found that most people wear their, quote, religion as a label, not as an actual practice or an empowerment. What is beautiful about the spiritual world is that if you choose to be full of the Spirit, to have Christ or Buddha or Allah, whoever is your interest, fully engaging and surrender to that faith, then you can have a kind of empowerment that is breathtaking. It's free, and yet my estimate is probably 95% of people who would call themselves a faith are actually not the faith that they are calling themselves. I heard you say in an interview, uh, Patch, that, sorry, I should have, instead of paraphrasing, I should have written it down verbatim, but it was something like, you know, you hear people say, Jesus must come. What a load of crap. All we need is mama. I would not have said it that way. I I know that what other people get from Christ, I got from my mother. And I guess it's really important to get it from somewhere. And again, that my mother gave it does not mean that I would use it. 
I chose to use it in the same way that a person can label themselves a Christian and really not in their actions or in their experience of life be Christian at all. That a, a person has to choose to be full of the Spirit or, in my case, full of friendship is my metaphor for God. So when I hear a faithful person speak with a beautiful and sweet language about their faith, and I do meet such people, not very often, but I do, and I hear them use a the language I use for friend. You know, I've I've heard you speak of your mother, but I, I don't think I've heard you speak of your father. I know he he was a soldier, and he died when you were 16, I think. Right. Wow, you've done some homework. Thank you. Yes, my father was a professional soldier. It appeared, as an innocent child, I did not know yet that even in a, quote, good war, that it destroys the soul of a person to fight. So I noticed my father as a man sitting in a chair, drinking heavily, smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, and not really able to play with his children. Now, as a child, I thought he didn't love me. He was an all-American football player, and, and uh, I, like a lot of innocent children, felt that his not playing with me was his not loving me or not approving of who I was. It was very quick in my life as soon as he did die from war, and I became a political activist through the civil rights movement and started to study I very quickly forgave my father and really wept that I was not able to uh, be useful for him in overcoming whatever it was that made him sit in a chair and not partake in his family's life. Hmm. Your your mom and your brother, I think, as well as you, obviously, moved back to the South, right smack dab in the middle of a civil war where, you know, blacks were fighting for the rights and some whites alongside of them and if if i have the information correct here you're pretty much beaten up every day your last two years at wakefield high school that's right so those those last two years i mean hospitalized three times in one year as a result of an overwhelming desire to die it sounds to me at the risk of sounding a little dr phil here like the catalyst for your suicidal depression was rejection and, and not just not just rejection at school, but I also wonder how losing your father when you were sixteen, and then and then having an uncle commit suicide would play into that rejection battle as well. As I reflect back on it, even more than my father dying, the, I couldn't believe that this country that I grew up I mean the education in the fifties was pretty simple: right and wrong, right U.S. U.S. of the people, by the people, for the people, etc. And then I came and, and I heard, because my mother did occasionally take me to church, I heard what Christ said. I'm a very smart person. And I came back and I saw that religion was crap and government was crap. They lied. And that's my sense of what made me not want to live. I saw that the adult world was a fake, that my country was a total fake, and that religions were fake. And then I could see that much of the adult world was fake. And my mother, great as she was, was not a 
activists. So I had to have that lightning bolt hit me. And as soon as I knew that I could resist things that were not good for me, I resisted. Well, yeah, with this revolution for loving around the age of 18, I think. That's right. Again, the question's been asked a million times, and I, I'm just not sure of uh, the answer. Because, I mean, where did that come from? The uh, the God people are going to say, well, God, you know, shot a little lightning bolt down into your head and came up. And, but you say it came from your mother. Well, <clears throat> you know, when I say I have 35,000 books, there's no John Grisham here, no Danielle Steele. I have 2,000 books of poetry. I know four hours of poetry by heart. I've read as much literature as anyone I've ever met. And I, again, I'm not talking about throwaway books. I'm talking about most of the complete works of huge numbers of great minds. Right. And I started that even before I left the hospital, but as soon as I left the last hospitalization, you know, I was one of these people that didn't have to study. I couldn't get dates at the time, so... I did a huge amount of human interaction. At the bar. I spent two hours a day calling up wrong numbers for two years <laughs> just to practice talking with people to find out what kind of timbre and tone and voice could keep them on the phone. What subjects would they be sorry I cut off the conversation? I spent 10 hours a week going up and down elevators because the space is so confined and I could engage people. And... I did a lot of other human experiments, and I fell in love with people. I fell in love with humanity. I found out that all I had to do was be a friendly, outgoing person, and almost everyone would engage me. This this love revolution, I I, uh, I copied some notes down here, and uh, you tell me. I, just, I guess I want to read this to you and get your reaction, if you don't mind. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep scores of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Your reaction to that? Well, each of those are separate statements, aren't they? A thoughtful person would take each statement. And is there a specific statement there? I mean, when you make a statement about God, I don't know what God is. I know what other people say, and I have maybe 1,500 books of spirituality, so I do study it. But I don't have a personal experience. No, but, um, you know, as, as I'm trying to hear your journey and uh, trying to figure out my own journey... Uh, is about peace and justice for all people and for nature. Right. The, the inexcusability of, of wanting power over another person, hierarchy. The, the astounding idea, say, that a ball player makes more money than a school teacher. The, I mean, if one studies the world... Clearly, market capitalism is the worst thing that ever happened in human history. It has made money God. Whatever kind of God you like, it doesn't nearly have the fans that money has. Money, and if people were more subtle, then they would be interested in the power over. But 
clearly the message of all media is money, money, and 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 admiration for wealth. Not in you know half the world lives on less than two dollars a day. Hmm. Half of them live on less than one dollar a day. And the poor people are happier than than rich people. The richest three people have the same amount of money as the poorest 48 nations. And everything to do with our television is that we are to admire the Donald Trumps of the world and think that some person that uses some kind of ball uh, should be a multimillionaire. Um, you know, we, we live in such an askewed society. I, I keep... Hoping there is a God so that they'll zap some sense into people. It's one of my biggest proofs against it. Because if I were a loving God or an all-powerful God, I would instantly stop all violence and all injustice. And, and see to it that people radiated love for all people and took care of the planet and lived in a beautiful fashion. That yeah. would be something I could do before Tuesday. Right. <laughs> I know. Look, there's obviously, uh, if there are God people listening, then they know or feel that God is within them, and there is a yearning for for authentic God people. There is a yearning for what you just said to come true, and I think theologically they look at it and go, well, I guess that's heaven, because if we removed free will at this particular point in life, then we would also remove the uh, genuineness of love, because I think for real love to be real, there has to be a, a choice mechanism involved. Otherwise, it's all about choice. Yeah, yeah. And I think I mean, look, you know, you're. So I'm, I'm not telling. Chooses to be greedy. A person chooses to be a racist or a sexist. A person chooses, instead of engaging with their family, to turn on the TV. Right. A person chooses to stay in a job they don't like or a marriage that's miserable. Uh, People don't like to think they're... People make a choice to be depressed. They, I mean, if you have food and a friend, what are you bitching about? And yet, you know, bitching is the style. Yeah. That's how it's clear to me that there's so few people full of any faith. It doesn't matter which faith we're talking about, because just watch them behave. Patch, how do you remain so apparently at peace with the environmentalist movement who, to be quite honest, have stolen billions of dollars from humans, billions of dollars from you and your hospital and your philosophy? You know, shouldn't we fix the humans first and then they'll want to maybe give back and take care of the planet? You know, you must have no background in science. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. You know, it took a thousand million years to make and design one cell before we became too cellular. A thousand million years. You know, and Homo sapien is barely a hundred years, a hundred thousand years old. So we're not a very complicated design relative to that first cell. And, you know, humans in their arrogance they can ignore themselves forever. If they keep ignoring nature, as I said, I've read 2,000 books on the environment, and I'm sure most people wouldn't want to read two. You know, we are destroying nature 
No, in, in my world, the human is just another animal. And if you look at all the animals and plants that have been on Earth, 99% of them are extinct. And we're just getting ready to join it because we don't take care. I mean, when you say environmentalists take my money, whatever money I've given to environmental effort, I've been damn glad that they were devoting themselves to clean rivers and to biodiversity and, and to trying preserve nature until humans are smart enough to do it themselves. I mean, if you actually think environmentalists are stealing your money, it's nothing like your government stealing your money. And, I mean, when you go to a movie and you pay $4 for a Coke, it only costs seven cents. So, you know... The idea that that I hear in what you said of condemning environmentalists, hey, there are crooks everywhere. So I'm sure there are environmental crooks. But huge numbers of people who love our environment have given their lives to try to talk sense into people. You know, maybe you've never been where you see people drink crap water. You know, that... Every eight seconds, a child dies because you can't drink clean water. Now, if you have children or your listeners have children and they're drinking clean enough water, how sweet. But we can bet that some people are wondering about their water in Japan, and now radiation is showing up in water over here in North America. So the idea, you know, the organochlorine industry spends $160 million a year so that you don't know anything about organochlorine. How are they doing? You don't know anything about organochlorines, right? No. Right. It's the number one pollutant, billions of tons a year. Some of the most carcinogenic chemicals known to humans. No, you can, you can bless. In my mind, the people trying to save the environment, those are the real spiritual people. Because it's all creation. Right. And if you like creation, we're just one of creation, okay? Right. And I know a lot of the religions like to think we're a big part of creation. We are just another primate. My thinking behind that statement is, from an outsider's, I guess, pessimistic point of view, there's only so much money to go around, and people give where they're motivated to give. That's a moot point. That's pretty obvious. And because in the last, I would say, 15 to 20 years, maybe even more so in the last 10 years, the environmentalist movement has gained incredible momentum. And I I know you need money. You need money for your project. You need money for your hospital. I know you finally turned the soil, but you need money for your project. And there is a battle for donations out there. Well, if... You know, after World War II in the United States, we taxed our rich 90 to 95 percent. Now they're taxed 16 percent. With offshore accounts, you know, the biggest welfare goes to the wealthy. And I'm sure it's true in Canada that when, when we talk about there's only so much money, you know, in the greed market capitalism model, the TV is constantly telling you that you need this thing or that thing. You need right. this facelift or that kind of car. And and so the it is the market capitalist system that is the theft of the money. 
and it's also the rape of the planet. And there's enough money to go around to the humans and the planet. I get that. Half, half the world, hear me, half of the people, people like you and me are living, half of them in the world are living on $2 a day. Half of them on $1 a day. The richest 200 people have the same amount of money as the 2.5 billion people. No, that is, those are the hoarders of money. Right. There is no ethic. I mean, in, in actual fact, I mean, I'm, I got the feeling that this is a Christian show. Where would there be Christians that are millionaires? I mean, how does one reconcile, if you have anything more than your needs, the point is to give it away. I mean, my, my knowledge of Christ is that he wasn't exactly a rich guy. Could have been rich. And that he caused some trouble there with the money lenders. Uh, so, but he had no place to lay his head. I mean, we are on the same page. He, no, anyone would have given him a place to lay his head. Right, but he didn't have a place of his own, is what I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. Me either. Yeah. Me either. I don't want to own anything. Feel the freedom. I mean, if there's a message in Jesus, it's to feel the richness of other people, feel the richness of just being alive and being full of the Spirit. That's as rich as you'll ever get. And yet every message, and the message of most, quote, Christians, is stuff. I mean, um, the idea that a Christian would be taken an antidepressant is a contradiction of the term Christian. <laughs> you know, Christ can take away your pain. I'm not a Christian, and I know that. Because friend does it for me, and I know if I were a Christian, Christ would be doing it for me. I mean, the derivation of the word church is community. If we rebuilt communities and we were interdependent and we all shared everything, you know, no one likes to hear this. Christ was a communist. You know, Acts in the Bible is a communist tract. And I love to say that in the United States because everyone's nervous about the word. And, and yet every Christian knows that Christ was a commie. You know, he was sharing everything. These were his brothers. You know that, right? I do. And and so, God, that's going to make half the listeners really frightened. But I'm sorry. You know, the you know, nice thing about Christ, you can put him on a cross and kind of worship him. Christ wants you to be him. He wants you out in the field working for love. Not to have any value in your stuff or your power, but all in your kindness. And and you tell me if I'm off. Oh, no. This is why I wanted you on the show. And, and so, you know, crap on the rest of the kind of Christians and Buddhists and Muslims. You know, as I tell my Christian audiences, it'd be nice if you were. I mean... Bush called himself a Christian, and, he, and because of that war in Iraq, we've murdered a million Iraqi people. Now, of course, if they're Muslims, that should make us glad, because it's Christians one million, Muslims zero, or whatever the statistics are. Hmm. But uh, if you're a Christian and not anti-war and not out there trying the end of the war, you're fake. And, you know, no, no, no one's brave enough to go around saying fake. We're a fake democracy. We're fake Christians. You 
how often it feels like people are fake human beings. We're communal people. We want to live together like Acts in the Bible and share everything and not care about our riches, but and care about our embraces. You wanted a staff that was happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful. I insist on it. That is the context. That is my sense of the environment. That, that's how I can get doctors and everybody to work for $300 a month. Give them heaven to work in and be able to practice exactly the way they dream in the company of sweet friends. They'll work for 300 a month. If you only have a week to live, I'm your man. That's one of my favorite Patch Adams quotes. I ask my audiences, everyone has to die. Who wants a fun one? What? And when they, when I ask that, of course, 90-plus percent of people raise their hands. Sure. The ones that aren't in shock. And and people want fun ones. And I... why wouldn't a Christian that they're going to eternity with Christ for crying out loud. Why aren't they jumping up and down going, ooh, here I come? Because <laughs> I did that at, at dying Christians' bedsides. You know, we're, we're celebrating. Come on, I spent all this year in the human form down here putting up with, you know, having to scoop up my dog's poop, put it in a bag, and then take it back to the thing and all the other stuff. In heaven, things are eternal one of the most enjoyable things i've ever done in my life is hospital chaplaincy and what for me that involves is asking and then shutting up and listening i've met a number of chaplains that come in with an agenda and just yap far too much a little judgmental on my part but that's how i feel but i call that religion yeah well, there you go yeah and that's one of the reasons christ was crucified because he said to hell with religion but as far as Patch Adams is concerned, what spiritual transformations have you seen with those who have died with you? Well, you know, I call spiritual love in action. Okay, so that's what spiritual means to me. Right. And, you know, I've climbed with, uh, climbed in bed with patients and held them while they were dying. You know, whatever you wanted. If you want a party, if you want uh, some Mozart requiem, or you want to uh, Mourners dressed in black over in the corner going, oh, whatever you want, we'll, we'll be four. And how, how would you spend your last week, Pat? Well, I mean, assuming that I'm conscious and, you know, I'm going to be having fun. I, I probably, you know, depending on what the physical capabilities of my body are, if our hospital were open, I'd be doing healing work and having fun and tangoing with Susan and being goofy. You know, who knows? I I, uh, I feel I'm on the dessert phase of life. So it can come at any time. I get death threats. Why? Well, I'm pro-choice, my hostility to psychopharmaceuticals, uh, calling, you know, I say provocative things. I've said them on your show. You know, I'm, I am a truth-sayer, and, and people don't like that. You know, down here in the United States, we kill abortion doctors. 
that's right to life right there. Hmm. And so I'm, you know, I'm not silent. That's why I was beaten up every day in school. You know what would happen? Because it was 1961, and the Civil Rights Act was 1963, and the all-white schools, I would constantly hear the word nigger said with a level of hate that made me weep. The first time I heard it, I just burst out in tears. I could hear the hate, and I'm not sure I've ever really heard hate like that before. And my only way of dealing with it was to scream really loud. I'd be in the classroom and scream really loud and do it for a really long time until uh, I could see that everyone was really uncomfortable. And then I'd say, you can say that word, but I have to do that. That's how I live with myself. And, you know, you, to take a stand, if there are people listening in the audience and you've never taken a stand, let me tell you the thrill of taking a stand for something. And you can take a stand for Christ. You know, be a real Christian. You can take a stand for your family. You can take a stand for peace and justice. You know, you can... The next time somebody whispers hate for gays or hate for colors or Muslims or aardvarks, you can take a stand for love. Patch, uh, two things I, I need to say before we finish this interview. One is a thank you for being more Christ-like than the majority of Christians I've come across. And I hope that makes you feel really awkward. No, it doesn't. <laughs> hey, Christ was on our team. Come on. I, you know I'm trying to whip those Christians into shape that are listening in. Yep. I, look, Christ would have been killed today, too. The last thing anyone, last thing a Christian wants is Christ. Because before you know it, they're going to have to act like Christ. You know, it's so much easier to worship, go to Sunday, dress up. But, uh, no, I, I understand. I, I use Christ as a model. I use Buddha as a model. You know, women have been the Christ of all history. Yes. No matter how badly behaved men have been, every problem of the world is due to men. There's not a single, and nor has there ever been a problem in the world due to women. It's all due to men. In my mind, men have created and invented religions mostly as a way to subjugate people. And uh, because the last thing they want is people to really act like Christ. Well said. And... Uh, He's dangerous. Can I ask the people to help me with my hospital? Please. You know, I gave you a half hour of my time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm building a hospital that eliminates 90% of the cost that has no hierarchy, where initial interviews with patients are three or four hours long, where all healing is respected and accepted, where we will be teaching what we do to anyone who comes. And many Canadian health professionals have come and learned from us. And so if they go to patchadams.org, please sign up for our East News letter, make a PayPal donation. It, uh, it all goes to loving service for people. Um, believe it or not, I've never used a computer, but I know I'm on Facebook, and I'm, I'm supposed to encourage people to friend me on Facebook. And and I'll be sharing ideas and thoughts. And uh, you know, 
please go out there and be Jesus. He is lonely. And, uh, you know, be Mrs. Jesus and Mr. Jesus and, and, and show radiance. Because if there's any reason people liked him, he was just a radiant guy. My mom was radiant. And that's, that's where I wanted to finish this was, will you please give me a snapshot of who your mom is? Because I think if you describe your mom, I might get a better image of God. Okay. In all of the years that I knew her, and she died when she was 76, I never once saw her angry, mean, unkind, rude, uh, unjust in any way to anyone. And it was never like a thing she was imposing. She just was that way. You know, I, uh, I respect her a lot more when I aged than when I was young. I, I sometimes thought that she wasn't very smart because she never argued. She never, uh, me, I, I'm a, a raging political activist, so I, I don't keep my mouth shut. And, and she was an example of generosity you know, of happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful. She was a fifth-grade school teacher. She embedded me in the love of wonder and curiosity, and so I, you know, I'm a crazed input person. I shove stuff in my mind all the time, and she 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 just showed. You know, the, and and I found that that that's the most powerful teaching I am to people is that I show them. Hmm. You know, I take clowns into war. I take them. I've held several thousand children dying of starvation in my arms. You know, you you go to it. What? Uh, you know, Christ was just a hard worker for love, and he did it here and he did it there. He liked whores. He liked lepers, and uh, he he just he knew that he'd get in trouble. If you saw Mel Gibson's movie about Christ, I mean, you could just see there that what killed Christ is that the priests didn't like his influence. And uh, he's dangerous. I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous to the capitalist system. Good. Well, when you described your mom, kind of sounded like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. She's my Jesus. <laughs> you know, Ben, I crack jokes about how when a man acts like an average good woman, they invent a religion around them. <laughs> I used to think my mother was a great mother. You know what I found out? She was just an average, undamaged woman. I've been in over 2,000 orphanages, not one male worker. Every refugee camp I've been in, who's working? The women. Can you imagine if all the women left the churches? Well. No, there wouldn't. what would get done? Yes, and well, who would be holding the torch is more of what I'm saying. Yeah, thinking. that's true. Because men work at churches, but as far as that raw holding the torch for mush, boy, do women do a good job. And they've done it everywhere. I'm, the, you know, I've been at ten thousand deathbeds as a clown, and I, I have seen strength in women in every country. Just, and I see it. In, in my mind, it's about fifteen percent of men that that uh, 
have tagged on to Christ's love or Buddha's love or, you know, my mom's love. Anyone can do it. That's, you know, I want the listeners to know it's no big deal. Stop making Christ a big deal. He was a good guy. That's all you have to do. Be good. Be nice. You know, it's, you don't have to be the son of God for crying out loud. All, all Christ was was a good boy. You want to pinch his cheek. Dr. Hunter Patch. That's my theology. Well, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, you're a crack up. You really are. Look, I know you've given us an enormous amount of time, and I, I'm thankful for it. I really am. And it's been, hmm, I don't want to sound trite. It's been good. Well, I, I, my agent said that sometimes there's six million listeners. And I'll tell you, if each of them gave $10, I'd have a free hospital at 10% of the cost. And Canada would be looking at that model, too. Because Canada's worried about its health care system. And it's easy for business to talk away care. Because I don't know any transnational corporations that ever heard who Christ was. Hmm. Patch, thanks for your guts. You betcha. My kneecaps are nice, too. <laughs> thanks, Please man. encourage them to help me. I'm ready to build medical schools all over Africa. I'm trying to get a Patch Adams too and have all the proceeds to create medical schools all over Africa and get use it to organize 10 million volunteers to re-green Africa. Well, you didn't get any money from one. How are you going to get some from two? I have other candlers. You know, we've everyone's been a butthole once in their life. <laughs> I've been really, really working to keep my language nice. Good boy. And uh, so that that was my fringe statement. <laughs> Thanks, Patch. Thank you. You bet. Was this interesting to you? Fantastic. Loved what, it. What did you like? Uh, I liked your grasp of the radical, iconoclastic nature of Christ. Hey, read Liberation Theology. Yeah. Well said. If you want to like a Christian, look at the one that gave their lives in Central America. Get out there and be Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. You betcha. Take care. Uh, wow. There's an interesting interview yeah. for you. <laughs> Dr. Hunter Patch Adams, the man behind the movie. You don't have to agree with everything he said, but if he didn't challenge you to uh, be real in your faith, then you weren't listening. Stay with us. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at drewmarshall.ca.